You are here with me on episode 209. I don't even know where to begin with this one. This was an epically dynamic conversation about philosophical and historical ideas around the fabric of reality. Yeah, that's all. Just the fabric of reality. Through both traditional methods of energy access like the chakra system and South American shamanism, along with the way that the romantic ideas of love, care and universal compassion compete with the idea of our biological nature of being human, that of savagery, survival of the fittest and the self-centered and disproportionate accumulation of resources. Or do they compete? And are they just iterations of consciousness? Stages of human evolution of which we are stepping through. If you've ever wondered whether the world is what you think it is, or ever felt a sense that there is something more beyond the physical body, that you have a knowing that there is another layer beyond the fabric of this materialistic see-touch-hear world that we live in, then this conversation is absolutely for you. It's going to bend your brain and some of the rules and conditions and experiences and ideas and beliefs that you have about being you in human form in this world. Get your marshmallows out and sit by the campfire because that's the kind of vibe that this one took. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. It's really that simple. Especially after the COVID years, most people I know gained weight quicker than they ever have before and are struggling to shift out of the rut of behaviors that developed as a result of working from home or even just the trauma and depression that that time led to and people have attached themselves to a new set of behaviors which need a bit more attention than just some new nutrition advice to be able to shift, which is exactly why our program is focused on the emotional eating and body confidence elements of getting healthy and well. So uh, get involved if you need to make some positive long-term sustainable changes to your body um, or your mind. The application is in the show notes below. So just scroll down, click the link, uh, submit your details and we will be in touch. All right. So I want you to meet this wonderful man, Keith Parker, who is the co-founder of Field Dynamics, which is an innovative energy healing modality. He was initially trained in contemplative science using meditation as the vehicle to understand states of consciousness on a really deep level. Over the following decade, he developed a comprehensive expertise in the holistic healing, holistic healing arts, including movement, breathwork, bodywork, energy work, and other disparate disciplines. But probably most uniquely, during this uh, intensive period, Keith had a series of breakthrough spiritual experiences, enabling him to physically see and feel the human energy field with remarkable clarity, which we're obviously going to unpack today because like, what? What? (laughs) Uh, As the co-founder of Field Dynamics, he is committed to facilitating self-transformation and bridging the gap between science and spirituality. Finally, someone is here to do that. Um, You can also find Keith on the meditation app Insight Timer, and he is currently working on his first book titled A Story of Awakening. And so in order to begin your awakening... Here we go. Welcome to the show, Keith. How are you? Um, very good. Good to be here with you. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you because there's, as we were talking about before, like there's so many rabbit holes of information, knowledge, speculation, all of the things that we could go into. And I know that in that intro that I just read too for people, there's probably a lot of grey, fluffy, flexible terminology. And so maybe a really cool place to start would be solidifying if, if that's even the right word, but some ta- adding some tangibility to the comprehension of what it is you do exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, that, that's an easy one. Outside of eating rabbit pellets for health, which is my speciality. <laughs> um, so what I do and what, what Field Dynamics is, that modality that you just mentioned, we specialize in, in training people, teaching people how to use this thing called energy healing or energy work, right? Now, a lot of people have heard of that term. I would say the majority of people don't know what that is, even people who practice it. So let me clarify just the real simple language for it. And this is one of the things that I'm trying to do is articulate this very clearly in the world, as mentioned, science and spirituality, because there's very grounded language, very grounded understanding that can come of looking at this, right? So we have this thing, energy work, energy healing. First thing is people say, well, energy, sure, there is energy, but what is it? And the the thing we're referencing is the human electromagnetic field, so the aura, the bio field. And the thing is, it's electromagnetic. It's not material. That's, that's, That's the key thing. Everything about energy work, when we talk about energy, think electromagnetism. And electromagnetism is the phenomena that underlies light. Right? So all of those spiritual traditions, all those things that say, oh, in the beginning was light and the light emerged and the, these kinds of things, or even references to vibration and frequency like sound, all these are referring to what is it like when you experience, look into, uh, investigate deeply what a human is, what reality is, uh, and you can perceive it directly and beyond physical matter is an electromagnetic aspect or an energetic aspect of reality that's actually more changeable, more wave-like, more vibrational than physical reality seems to be. So this aligns with modern science. I mean, science basically says everything is a probabilistic field, and then it poofs into this thing called material reality. But you can directly experience it. That's what mysticism is. Um, It's not foo-foo. It's not made up. It's not, um, you know, storytelling. It's a translation of people's experiences trying to orate that in a, in a language that was scientific a few thousand years ago, in the sense that that was ex- as exacting as people could get about trying to describe those experiences. But now we have science, scientific language to understand it. Um, and uh, basically, uh, it's about frequency. It's about opening up your perception and learning to work with this electromagnetic phenomena. So that's the energetic part. And the healing means making use of this, making use of any insights as to the mechanics, the mechanism of how this thing is working, your energy field, to make changes. So you have a body, you have a field, an energy field, your body's within the energy field, the energy field actually interpenetrates the body, goes right through it. And what you can do is you can learn to, through a technique called energy work or energy healing, you can learn to actually modify, augment, heal, integrate, balance, harmonize that field. And it has really profound effects on people. I find it really interesting in there that you said that even people that practice it don't necessarily um, understand it. Um, what do you What do you mean by that? Um, well, the thing is, is there's a mechanism that works. You don't have to have any special skill set to learn energy work or energy healing. Anybody can do this on day one. That's why the most popular modality out there is called Reiki. That's what most people attribute to the word energy healing. Um, and Reiki is an example of, of energy work or energy healing um, because it works with certain mechanics and principles. Some people would go, oh, well, energy healing like um, mantras or sound, you know, sound healing bowls or crystals. Those things are not energy work or energy healing in the strict sense um, in that those work in the physical domain and then they have energetic effects 
Something like Reiki, something like field dynamics, what we're doing is is classical energy healing in which the energy is moving starting in the energy field itself. It doesn't start in the physical. It starts in the energetic, and it works with certain principles, certain certain key features that make it quite distinctly different. Um, the reason people don't usually know what they're talking about, yet they do it, is because twofold. One is that the teachings out there often don't explain it clearly. There's just an understanding by many communities and teachers that the phenomena works, but the underlying mechanism isn't well understood or articulatable by people. Um, and the other component is that most people practicing don't have the skill set to see clearly what's happening. Like they don't have a, a, a sensing that enables them to understand the mechanics of it from the ground up, which is where my vision comes in, which is where my personal journey comes in um, around why it is that I've, I've founded an energy healing modality, why I specialize in that, given that I've done so much other stuff from the ground up, from meditation and, and yoga practices, all kinds of healing work that's, that are physically based. And slowly, slowly, my, um, my perception started to open up. I started to see the human energy field around people, chakras, meridians, auras, uh, colors, uh, vibrations, frequencies, dimensions, all this kind of strange stuff is 100% clear, transparent, perceivable by me without any effort. And um, it's astonishing and uh, unusual, but now it's very actually mundane for me because it's been many years. So you can physically see it as physical as you see my face? Yeah. Wow. It's not, the thing is, it's not, the thing is, it's not physical. We are talking about electromagnetic fields. So the sensing mechanism for an electromagnetic field isn't your physical eyes. They're not your physical eyes. Ah, oh, right. So what senses do you perceive it with? It, it Classically, it's that thing that, that in popular culture is referred to as the third eye. Mm-hmm. It, just basically that um, there's, this, there's this gradient where you have different sensing devices and your sensing devices start physically in the ter- in terms of we're used to seeing physically. That's what the body's set up for. But it yep. sees a, it's basically perceives a certain frequency range. So we understand the frequency range that the body perceives is very, very small, right? Like, you know that a dog hears so much higher in frequency than a human does, right? Or a bat works with radar technology. So we know that even the animal kingdom um, expresses this quality where they're using different orientations to frequency and information to perceive a particular world, right? So if a human can break through those barriers of biology and start to kind of open up the boundaries, because there there are actual structures in a sense that inhibit these boundaries that have been talked about for thousands of years. And once you kind of open these structures up, your perception opens up into these other domains. And that's what I experienced over many, many years. I had no interest in, um, I had no interest in this esoteric stuff and auras and these things, not at all. Um, my interest was, was freedom, healing, liberation, enlightenment, awakening, um, trying to be more in touch with myself, my heart, um, and to be the best version of myself possible. That was my my goal. Um, but all this other stuff happened, which does classically happen to people who, who go pretty deep in themselves. So um, imagine opening up those boundaries, you know, imagining open, opening up those frequency ranges. And instead of having just four channels on your television, imagine having 300 channels on your television where the different frequency ranges, meaning the different channels of perception and the information being broadcast over those channels becomes clearly available. You said um, in there that uh, there was there's biological limitations that have been talked about uh, across history. Why, if this information is accessible to a conventional human body, what is in place to prevent most of us naturally discovering that anyway? In the same way, we might have first opened our, our eyes to, to see, or you know, we first heard the first sound of anything to hear. You know, mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, there's, there's, I guess, two things come to mind. The first is maybe the reason that things are the way they are is to format experience in this particular way. Mm-hmm. So, so humans have a particular experience. You know, we have a sense of self within this body, and this body-mind experience is something that perceives a certain reality that gives us an opportunity to have certain interaction. And if we think of life as a kind of a game of learning or a kind of an arena for learning and growth rather than suffering and tragedy— then we say, well, this is the format we've been given to experience things, to learn things. And once we go out of that format, it's maybe just kind of not how it's set up and designed, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's one reason is that there's a purpose behind why it is we experience what we experience as we experience it. Um, the other thing is that it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not so straightforward to open these things up. It's, it's really just not straightforward. Um, like I said, there are traditions that have talked about this for a really long time, particularly in the Eastern traditions, Taoism, Yoga, Buddhism. They're really clear. They're actually e- extremely clear that if you do certain stuff, you're going to basically open up into other aspects and spaces and consciousness um, in, in identity, mm-hmm. um, f- fundamentally in your sense of identity and self and, and what you think this body-mind thing is. And... Um, it's just that it's not easy to interpret it without the direct experience, and also very few people are interested in it. To be fair, there's less than 5% of the population, probably closer to 1% or 2% of the population of humans, are actually interested in spending a lot of time doing introspective work and direct experiencing of consciousness through like rigorous method. It's pretty unusual. Well, and I think uh, a reason that would contribute to that um, lack of interest is probably the fact that you have to experience it in order to be able to clearly articulate it because we're very much in this material world of you show me and then I'm willing to invest. It's like, you know, whether it be business or with even going to the supermarket to buy food, it's like, oh, I can visibly see that the food looks healthy or the food looks good. So I'm willing to buy it. And so this sort of human experience and its material grounding, it kind of, you know, kind of sets off alarm bells even even for me in the beginning, I have to like negotiate with my ego to be like, you know, I'll be open to other things. The fact that I have to experience it um, in order to, you know, be a part of it. It feels like I need to like sign up to a cult before and adopt a belief system. And I remember the first time I came across hypnosis, which I absolutely love now, but I remember being reactive to the idea that I had to believe hypnosis worked in order to have success with hypnosis. And I was like, that's basically religion. Um, You have to believe in something before it's true, which therefore makes it true, but only because you believe in it. And so I think this material, you know, I'm a scientist. my, My default thought is, well, of course people are not interested in something they can't see or prove and feels like Chinese whispers when an expert comes to tell me about this thing that they can't show me. <laughs> uh, you know what? You're hitting into the number one thing that I'm, I'm here for, which is looking at beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing. I think that's one of the biggest words, one of the five most important words you could possibly use, right, is beliefs. Because I'm not interested in beliefs whatsoever. I'm interested in knowledge. Right. And knowledge is something that goes back to Gnosticism or the Greek sense of knowledge, which is not intellectual. It's not factual. It's not belief. It's known, it's knowledge, which means that you've experienced it directly and there's no doubt. You know, if a, a knowledge is not based in doubt, it's based in knowing. Mm-hmm. So um, 
if we had done this podcast 10 years ago, which would in some ways be impossible um, in the sense that I couldn't share the things I'm sharing with you, I would have, you would have found me a person who was 100% aligned to atheism, basically, um, a sense of uh, scientific materialism and reductionism, very well read and learned about all the 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 thought streams and the the presuppositions in those those contemporary models of which the majority of the world culture is actually riding the back of is that that presumption that um, we're actually just these you know physical bodies that um, happen to have a mind that happen to have an emergent consciousness that has a self a sense of identity and that that's for survival strategies alone and it's kind of random and it's kind of meaningless and that's pretty much what things are mostly left at in the, the mainstream of scientific reductionism mm-hmm. and that's fine and I, I spent a lot the majority of my life in that space and what I found was not because of that but rather because I was discontent that I started to look in, in inwards. I started to say, how come my like life equation, despite uh, succeeding at the things I'm trying to do, um, aren't producing a certain kind of contentness or peace? So I looked within and I started experiencing all these different things. I started going down a rabbit hole of um, tradition, spirituality, religion, if you will. I mean, not really, I was never religious, but I was interested in spirituality, I would say, which is the essence of religion all religions, um, which is looking at what is the nature of the self in reality and how can you do that from direct experience within. It's subjective science rather than objective science. Mm-hmm. So um, in a sense, um, I had to go through all of the bins of beliefs and have them just be knocked down organically because the direct experience that I kept unfolding into deeper and deeper was 100% antithetical and contrary to what I thought everything was. And trust me, I went through phases of years at a time of being in basic disbelief over what I was directly experiencing because it still was so, I was so strongly ingrained to have a certain presumption about who and what we are and what reality is. And um, beliefs are the biggest thing. And I think that that's, that's the hinge point that we're at. You know, the, I'm writing a book um, at the moment called Story of Awakening. And it's basically, it's, it's my story over the first seven or eight years of my experience of kind of going within and the, the kind of strange stuff that happens because people like to hear stories and stuff. And I try and stay away from it because I'm not interested in any kind of like uh, personality um, you know, amplification, any, but on some level people connect to story. I understand that. So I'm, I'm, so I'm going to like, I'm writing a book about my story. And at the same time, I'm interspersing that with the scientific and spiritual kind of, um, integration to try and explain from with scientific language and with spiritual traditions to understand that the phenomenology, the reality being described by modern science and traditional spiritual spirituality through, you know, you could say mystical tradition, but um, that they're really describing the same thing. And it's really clear once you start to see that. And I can be a scholar in that. I can kind of research both things and understand how to connect the dots. But the glue is that my direct experience is the counterpoint. So I, I can really see what's going on in terms of, if I study 10 different spiritual traditions and I study a bunch of different disciplines in science, and I go, oh my God, they're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I can experience that directly or I already already have. And I go, right, this makes total sense. Now I understand why the average person or most people wouldn't be able to connect that dot through their own internal experience because it's really strange stuff. Like for instance, there's very, very, it's very, very likely we live in what's, what would be called holographic reality. Very, 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 very likely. Holographic reality would be that the way that reality is actually constructed is that everything's actually everywhere. 
meaning all, in all parts the whole, like the holographic principle in all parts the whole. So in, in, hol- in holography, it means that you can take any piece of a, of a whole and you, you, you can actually extract all the information from about everything else from each part. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the DNA of every cell in your body, right? Yeah, you could you could liken it to that for sure. So there are plenty of mainstream scientists who just go, yeah, we, we live in a holographic reality. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not unusual in the scientific community. They can't prove it, right? Another way of saying it would be that there's universal quantum entanglement is another terminology that some people use. Yeah. But basically, everything's connected to everything else. And it's not only connected, but it actually contains the information of the whole thing. Right. The whole thing. Imagine one cell in your body contains the information of the whole universe. Right. But it seems to be that reality is constructed that way. Now, there's there's mystical stories about that going back 3000 years. Like there's a story of this um, yogi named Indra who sees this jewel. Right. He takes a jewel and he casts a net of these jewels across the entire universe in all directions. And he takes one jewel and he looks in the jewel and in the one jewels reflected all the other jewels in the universe infinitely. So it's like, it's that in each part is the whole, and this is understood experientially. Now, the way that energy healing works, it basically has to have that feature of organization in terms of the information sharing going on because of the nature of how energy healing works. Um, so these are the kinds of things like beliefs and direct experience. And, you know, you said a person can only take on something by considering it and then at least quasi believing it or being um, open enough to try something. Right. And I think that that's really important and valuable. I would never want anybody to go across the boundaries of their their beliefs and the word cult and all those things. I mean, yeah, that's let's be really careful on those boundaries. Right. Because um, skepticism is healthy and important. And what we what I find is I work with a lot of people. Um, Christabel is the other um, founder of Field Dynamics. Her and I basically do a lot of work one on one with people using the technique of energy healing. And we do a lot of training. So we we specialize really in, in professional trainings. And we not only do short trainings like Reiki does, which is usually about a day or two, but we really focus on a six month format. Because what we find is we can take somebody who is interested in in healing work, forget about energy healing. They're just interested in developing as a human. You know, they want to go deeper in themselves. And what we do is in the training, expose them to a number of different techniques with energy healing as the primary, but we integrate like a lot of somatic awareness, meditation, um, breathing, body scanning, um, understanding basically patterns of behavior and, and how the mind works in relationship to awareness, which is a, a major fulcrum point. And basically people through their direct experience start to know what the effects are of using the technique of energy healing and start to learn to sense their energy field. So I might have this really transparent way of feeling and seeing the energy field, but actually everybody's energetically sensitive. And we find that some people know that already because they're really sensitive people. They're empathic. They are, um, you know, they're really in touch with these things. And there's the whole world out there of, you know, empaths and HSPs and all this thing. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where people are like, well, I don't know what to do with this word energy. I don't feel anything. I don't seem to sense anything. You know, it must be woo woo. Right. The irony is that most of those people are probably inside of an engineering classroom. (laughs) (laughs) The guys that are moving in the direction of quantum physics education. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is, is I've worked with a lot of people who have basically show up to do a six month training in energy work. 
and they've they don't actually ever they've never really sensed any energy directly. What they've done is they've been exposed to certain healing work that involves energetic shifts, and they notice the results of the shifts, but the actual experience of energy moving through them, so to speak, the field, like sensing their field in a particular way, mm-hmm. they're not in touch with yet the results are what are compelling to them. Mm-hmm. So um, those people who we work with, everybody. I've worked with a lot of different people, a lot of people with zero sensitivity at the start, right? We teach people how to connect to their own internal sensing. It's just a matter of how you sense the world, right? So we sense the world externally through our physical body. Mm -hmm. You sense with your hands, you sense with your ears, sense with your eyes and these different things, right? All subtle energy sensing, meaning um, extrasensory perception, classical psychic skills, all these things, they're just sublimations. They're just the yin-yang to physical sensing. So for instance, if you're really kinesthetic, body feeling oriented, you tend to be empathic. If you if you're really visual oriented and you learn visually, you tend to be clairvoyant. If you're really, you know, auditory based and you're the kind of person who says, oh, that sounds about right to me. You know, that kind of language that sounds right to me. Um, that's that rings a bell. Um, you tend to be more clairaudient, let's say. So it's just a, it's just that you learn to turn your focus inward. Mm-hmm. And you start to learn to sense when energy is running or when things in your life, when they're triggered or you're in some kind of an inflated state where there's a lot of stuff pumping through your field. And you learn to listen in and you start to notice, right, this is the inner topography of my experience. And that's how I sense energy. It's not people go in and they think classically, like, oh, I'm going to start seeing lights and colors and auras. And that's that's actually pretty rare. Most people sense in a different way that they already sense the world through that they just simply need to highlight be guided and supported in their experience of, of kind of enhancing that and refining it. And all of a sudden they learn that there's this whole language. There's this whole stream of information happening all the time in their experience that they haven't really noticed is what energy is to them, what sensing is to them. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, man, there's so many ways that I want to take this conversation. Um, But the, the first thing at the front of my mind is that there's obviously been people, groups, cultures throughout history which document this in different ways, which you mentioned before. You know, you go through them all and fundamentally they have the same idea. Uh, and you could, you could argue the same thing about religion, right, of cultures that, from, you know, that never met in the beginning and the, the core of what they're talking about is explaining the same fundamental ideas about themselves and the universe and that type of thing. So my curiosity... I mean, I've got so much of it. <laughs> I'm just trying to pick which direction to go. But 
why through all of human history is it just these selective people? Like, or is it a skill that we all always had and that the industrialization, commercialization, further enslavement of the human mind with technology is that the thing that's robbing us all of the possibility to open up this experience or has it just been a select few people that discovered this through all of human history? And the discovery you're referring to, are you talking about this more energetic reality? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. this ability to feel, manipulate, understand, see energy fields. Okay. The manipulation part is available to every single person. That's not a special skill whatsoever. You can learn to do it better and better. But every person is working with their energy field because what your energy field is in many ways is very, very closely connected to what we call the functioning of our mind. So when we look at what energy healing is, for instance, what we're looking at is clearing blocks. Basically, imagine you have this field, it's around your body, Mm -hmm. right? Energy's flowing through it. That's always happening. So you're sitting where you are, I'm sitting where I am. If we could see the field clearly right now, we'd see that our physical body is encased in this toroidal structure that's actually circulating. Okay, like a turbine. It's like moving all the time. And the movement is reflective of what's happening psychoemotionally in ourselves. It's a vibrational um, viewfinder, okay, of, of what it is that our, basically our mental emotional state is. So when we look at clearing blockage, which is why people come to something like energy healing, they're like, I'm blocked, right? So we're going to, we clear those blocks. Those blocks are emotions, traumas excess stresses, inherited family stuff, ancestral trauma, you know, all the stuff that sits in the background that Western psychology might call kind of like the unconscious or the the subconscious, all this suppressed and repressed and unknown and unconscious stuff that when we look into basic meditation, what you find is that when you, when you get still, you close your eyes, you turn inward and you go, okay, just be still the mind, you know, still the mind. What anybody notices the first time they ever meditate is that your mind is very active without you choosing anything. Yeah. You don't you don't choose to think a lot of the time. The majority, in fact, of what is happening mentally is non-chosen. It's automatic. So where's that stuff coming from? Like, where is it coming from? It's all of this turbulence, all this inertia that's underneath the surface in the subconscious mind, right? So energy blocks are basically things that are subconscious in us for the most part. And what they're doing is they're exerting pressure into the conscious mind and they cross the threshold and then these thoughts are just popping up all the time. These thoughts are just popping up all the time. So what we do is we clear blocks, we, we resolve or heal these things that we're trying to work through as humans. And what that does is it enables our mind to be more clear and settled. And then we can perceive the present moment more clearly. We can perceive the causal effects of, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm considering this, I'm considering that, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And you can perceive that moment more clearly outside of the, stor- the distortion of all these other things pressurizing that. And it makes a massive difference in people's experience of life moment to moment and avails themselves to a lot more freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very significant that we do um, inner work if we want to have more peace and contentment. It doesn't matter if it's energy work or anything. You just find something that works for you and you can actually experience a lot more uh, inner freedom. You know, people, there's something that I'm, it was such a big deal to me when I first started meditating. And I mean, just meditating, forget about anything else, just meditating. I said, the quality of my life is improving so significantly just ma- massive improvement, you know? And I was like, why wouldn't we all do this? If I, if I take 20, 30 minutes of the day, just even that little, and I learn to kind of settle my mind, calm down and start to see it more clearly, everything else, every other minute in the day, the other 23 and a half hours is improved. 
There's and, and it's not certain things that are improved. The quality of each moment is literally improved. So why people don't turn inward more and do a little more self-development is in some level beyond me. But the only thing that I can think of is, A, there's not so much of a desire. And that desire is secondarily being fed through a certain cultural prism that doesn't value that as much, especially Westerners. Yeah. I would also add to that is that a lot of people have no don't don't have the tool set or the skill set in order to navigate the very uncomfortable or confronting things that they have suppressed which interestingly is very much a part of the emotional eating work that we do because often people in any given moment that they have available go straight to the pantry or straight to the fridge because any moment that they spend with themselves in any type of quietness brings forth these thoughts or memories or regrets or pains that are just they just can't sit with them. They're so overwhelming and confronting that escaping the present moment is a higher priority than than sitting in it. Exactly. And so we said belief earlier. Again, one of my big keywords, belief. Well, the other one would be, based on what you're saying, it's um, finding that inner peace. Like you can't control the external world. Zero possibility. You can contribute, affect, steer, manipulate, influence the external world, but you can't control it. That would be foolish and naive, right? But what you can do is you can cultivate your internal world to the degree that most people don't realize is possible. Like you're saying, we're not informed about this, Mm -hmm. right? We don't value it. We're not growing up being told, you know what? Life is tough. And if you actually did some inner work, some inner healing, some meditation, whatever, you'd actually find that regardless of what's happening outside, you're way more content inside. You know, we don't, we don't have that. And that's something that people don't often realize that if you actually invest inward, that you can increase the quality of your life in every given moment to a degree that goes from, you know, what is it like to be content, peaceful and balanced 20% of your life and 80% it's somewhat imbalanced and, you know, even sometimes really, really, really imbalanced, right? But let's say 20% of your life, you feel kind of content and balanced. And then you compare that to somebody who develops 40% of their life, they're content and balanced. And then 60%, and then 80%, and then 90%. What do you think the experience is of having 90% of the time that you exist? You're in, there's, there's this deep abiding peace and balance in the background of your experience, regardless of what's happening out there. Regardless of even seeming like there's stressful circumstances taking place, the background is peace, serious peace, right? That's a massive difference, massive. Yeah. And anybody can and anybody can achieve that. Technically, anybody can achieve that. You know, I think that that's the best investment we can make in ourselves. And, and that's where I'm really, really hoping, that's the main thing I'm most interested in doing in a larger collective sense, mm-hmm. writing a book, coming on a podcast with you. Um, is getting people to consider what is it like to invest in myself, not in an external sense, but in in an internal sense, mm-hmm. right? Because the the um, the dividends, like the the investment, has it pays back in spades. There's there's nothing there's nothing in my opinion that compares. I mean, nothing even close. Yeah. On that note of like um, doing work on the self, 
One thing, and it's funny because I've, it's funny you mentioned before that this conversation wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. Well, it definitely wouldn't have because most of the things that I talk about on this podcast now are things that 10 years ago, Maddie thinks are absolutely ludicrous. Um, so, you know, we've all gone on our own journey and evolved. But one thing I've noticed and I fully put my own hand up and sort of say that I've been through this phase is that one of the interesting things about this self-development movement that where that social media and the internet has provided for us and um, having access to fantastic people like yourself is that it seems to also simultaneously be creating this sort of uh, extremely self-involved um, and self-focused center of the universe individualistic um, persona around people that go into this space as well. Um, and, and so as I'm getting older and, you know, looking into really understanding traditionally what it means to be a man, and I don't mean like, you know, I mean more traditionally hunter, gatherer, conqueror, you know, that kind of masculine thinking and just navigating what I think of that. Um, the more I'm also realizing that like a lot of my self-development journey was all about me having the best of everything, me, 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 and then sort of losing sight of the fact that we are intrinsically tribe pack animals that are communal in nature and that gather together and that uh, require the acceptance and approval and belonging of a group of people. And that, that might be where you introduce the idea of the family structure. Um, and interestingly, you know, birth rates in most educated Western countries are absolutely plummeting. Um, and is that, you know, I don't know, but is that a result of this movement towards the individualistic society of like me, 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 which is social media. But then you've also got this like self-healing um, journey, which is like everyone's traumatized, everyone's broken, everything's a problem. Um, you know, woe is me. And I'm also in such a privileged world that I'm also too pathetically weak to even do anything about it because life's too easy. So I don't know what you think about that idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's fascinating. And I also think it's a really it's a really attractive perception about self-work that um, it is selfish. But I think that's really, really not taking the bigger picture in mind. And granted, um, there are going to be people who become self-focused self -focused in a way that's obsessive or selfish, narcissistic even. Um, and obviously, that's not the point, right? Or it's antithetical to the presumption in the first place, as you're yeah. describing. Isn't it ironic kind of thing? But here's the thing. We come into this world with conditioning. Like you said, everyone's traumatized. So it means that trauma is not uncommon. In fact, trauma is the standard in that we come into this world with conditioning. We, you know, we don't generally think of it this way, but like Western psychology just gives us this general sense that you're born and then there's this moment that you're seeing a shrink or you're seeing a psychologist or you're telling your life story and there's all the history that happened in between that you're consciously aware of, right? But there's so much that we inherit that we're unconsciously Im impacted by mm -hmm. and you know, if you want to just simply, you know, refer to shamanic traditions or Native American traditions who've talked about forever, their healing work is always about going back seven generations. Or if you want to look at epigenetics and see that if 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 grandma gets traumatized, then then the grandchild is traumatized by that same stimulus that grandma was traumatized by without ever having been exposed to grandma. You don't ever have to meet or know anything about grandma. If grandma had a trauma you can experience 100% the same nervous system dysregulation, the same trauma that grandma experienced, again, the same response without ever knowing anything about grandma. So it tells us there's a mechanism of transmission through generations where what our parents, grandparents, even going back many, many, many generations, what they've experienced gets passed on to us. 
So there's so much that we come into life with, let alone the classical Western psychological model, which is very important, which is what happens when you're born, what happens in those first 7, 14, 20 years of life in general, in the development of your personality, you know, all the stuff that happens when we form this like way of talking, way of holding our body, uh, value structures, right? So there's a lot of conditioning that we take on. So everybody has stuff they've held, everybody has stuff that is um, suppressed and repressed, and that's the human condition. That's suffering. That's what everybody's recognized ever in history. You know, Buddhism is just, there is suffering. So some of that suffering, a, a, lot, a large piece of that pie, is what I've just described, which is conditioning, okay? In Buddhism, they go one step further, and they get to a more ultimate place, which is suffering fundamentally goes one step beyond that, which is that the suffering of even holding on to being alive is a component of suffering like that that actually if you look simply existing uh, well existing in a particular form right if you if you can get in touch with the essence of what existence is then actually that would be the cure for suffering in the sense of like that you have the direct knowledge of what existence is mm -hmm. is the thing that alleviates suffering yeah well and the buddha talks about the like enlightenment as the end of suffering right Yes, which, yes. Which in the context, if you're thinking along what you were just sharing, if existing in a certain way is by default suffering, then enlightenment comes at death? No. It's that um, the idea is that suffering is the result of ignorance, and ignorance is not knowing the, the, the deepest nature of who and what you are or who and what, re or who and what reality is at base, the ground of being, the emptiness, as the Buddha would call it, um, nirvana, these ultimate states of, under, of, of experiencing what is this body-mind and spirit constellation, this triad of body-mind-spirit, which is all, all the holistic triad, and Buddhism has its own versions of it, Western Christianity, Judaism, Muslim, you know, everything has its own version of the threefold aspect of what you are, body-mind-and-spirit. So body is mm -hmm. what we all know as the body, mind is maybe something related to this thing called the field that I'm talking about, or energy, or something beyond physical, metaphysical, immaterial, unseen, yet existent, mm -hmm. right? You have a mind, you know you have a mind, but where is it? <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then there's this thing called spirit and you go, what's spirit, you know? So spirit would just be the, the absolute, the eternal, the unchanging, the formless, the thing that doesn't begin and doesn't end, but is, mm -hmm. you could also say it's the present moment, like the eternal now, cause now is eternal, right? So the quality of the eternal or the, um, the unchanging, the absolute, the transcendent, the non-dual, like those words all point to the idea that there's something happening that if you inspect reality really closely, that you'll find that maybe you're not really just a body and a mind, but that there's something, the essence of what is happening in the moment is something far deeper and more expansive than this body-mind construction, mm. which creates a sense of self. So the end of suffering in Buddha's terminology and yoga, and, and yoga as well, because Buddha, the Buddha was a yogi, just created a strain of thought called Buddhism, right? right? Um, is basically that the end of suffering is, um, is the ending of ignorance. You have to end ignorance. And ignorance means the knowledge of the ground of being. And once that knowledge is attained, all these different presumptions, these false projections as to what's happening can fall away. And then you no longer suffer. That's, that's the, that's, that's the idea in Buddhism. So I was just going there <laughs> to mention that there's what we can do to get past the narrative, which is temporal, which is historical, which is linear. And then there's, if you want the extreme version, which I couldn't help myself in saying, which is where we actually investigate what's nonlinear. What's, what is, um, 
It's more abstract. What is that isn't a narrative and isn't in time or space? And does that exist within you? Do you exist outside of time and space? This, these are the these are the further out things that you can press into through your direct experience, which is where, again, which is where knowledge is about. Because we can talk about it scientifically, and I can tell you that when Einstein came up with relativity, there was an inference immediately that there was non-locality, that everything's, that everything, if there's relativity, then there's also non-relativity. Mm-hmm. And non-relativity called Bell's theorem means the universe is connected outside of time and space. So there's not time and not space. And there's been lots of stuff to prove that, that there's existence that's very intrinsic to the linear reality that's non-linear, non-local. That's everywhere or nowhere. Mm-hmm. So can you touch the, into that through your own direct experiences, what traditional meditation communities are doing? They're, they're saying, can you get past the self? Can you reveal the fundamental nature of the self by actually transcending any sense of self whatsoever? Because the self is a construction in time. I'm getting really, really abstract there, right? A little bit. Well, I was just about to say, and then Agent Smith knocks on your door and says, hello, exactly. Neo. <laughs> but, but, where, but where this got tangential was saying that there's all this conditioning, right? And we want to work through the conditioning you were mentioning about, does it become selfish? And the answer is, I think that this is resoundingly important. Very, very many people get this perception that, oh, well, there's people out there who are self-obsessing over their process and the healing and the me, 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 blah, blah, blah. Fundamentally, if you're going to be the best version of yourself, right, the best version of yourself, meaning you envision what is it for you to just be the optimal, loving, balanced human being that you would like to do that when you think something, you just do it. I'm, I'm most communicative here. I'm most loving here. I'm most generous here. I'm most kind here. I can, I can choose to create something that I want and I can just do it. I can just do it. You know, nothing's holding me back. Goal completion. I don't want to eat that. I, I don't eat it because I said to myself, no, <laughs> that's simple, right? Discipline is a reflection of pure will, right? In the sense of like, if you could just choose, if you could just say, oh, I'm going to do that. You did everything you ever optimally thought to do. That would be a hell of a human being. So um, how do we get to that state? Well, we get to that state by doing inner work, by freeing ourselves from those emotions. Like you said, somebody stops for a moment and they start having all these thoughts and then they run to the, the, the cupboard and they start eating cookies, right? How does that how does that go away? Well, you have to uproot the stuff that's bubbling up all of those thoughts. Yeah. And then you're not compelled by it anymore. You're not identified with it anymore. And you have the ability, the will, the presence to choose differently. And that's called freedom. That's called liberation from the conditioning. And so... Um, that not only is related to a person's personal experience, but it's how they relate to their family. It's how they contribute to the world. So fundamentally, my very strong belief is that if we're going to change the world, we have to change our inner world as a foundation. Because if we think that there's, the world has problems, and it, it does, right? One of the things we can't do is we, like, <laughs> planet Earth is in, like, third grade right now, second grade. <laughs> Okay. No, it really is. Let's be real. Like uh, we're talking about, you know, the qualities that you teach a seven or an eight year old when they go into into school, and you say, Johnny, you have to share with Sally. You got you guys have to learn to share. Don't be greedy. That's exactly what we're learning to work out on a large scale in a global sense. Like we don't share things. We have we have massive abundance in this world. There's more more than enough water, food resources, everything to go around. Everybody, if we if we had the ability to do it, everybody could be incredibly well-educated, well-fed, well-resourced, everything. There's no lack of that 
in the slightest. This is a, this is a world of abundance, but what holds us back is greed, selfishness, national boundaries, the sense of governments and military, and that you can't have this, I want this, you can't have this, you know, different value systems competing. But what we don't have, for instance, is cooperation. We don't have sharing and cooperation as the thing that's such a pass-through that we see peacefulness and abundance and bounty in the world, it's available, but we don't. So I would say those are qualities that we're learning when we're seven or eight years old. And those are qualities that we haven't been able to do as adults at the government and national level, you know, as a world. So we're, we're pretty immature. I mean, this is a very immature planet. I mean, to be fair, I know, I, I know that we're evolved technologically, but the value structure that underlies our civilization is very immature. If we're on it, if we're honest with ourselves. I'm curious to dig into that. And I was actually having this conversation um, with a friend of mine today who coincidentally is a Reiki healer. Um, and we're talking about this idea, right? Is that how do you um, get everybody to show up in this loving, sharing, equal way um, and totally neglect your fundamental biological drive, which is where like even every the, all the plants in my office here are running their own biological hierarchy to get the most sunlight. Like humans are always going to – prisoners, they still find a way to find somebody at the top who's in charge of the supply, who's in charge of the rules. And so in every biological system that exists that we know, there's always a hierarchy. And that's the exact reason that um, there is starvation, there is poverty, there is you know devastation, there is terrorism and all of these things. So – Whilst I think teaching seven-year-olds to love each other and care and, and that type of thing, how do, you, how do you bypass the biological mechanism to not win, conquer, collect resources? Because that collection of resources about your, is about your future, the future of your offspring, um, the success of your family lineage, uh, the survival of the fittest. Because um, mm-hmm. in theory, we're also in a world where we've got, you know, you and I, we're obviously in a world where we've got the privilege to be able to sit at home from opposite sides of the world and discuss such, you know, philosophical ideas. Whereas, and this was the conversation I was having with my friend Nicola today, was that it doesn't take long for anyone to get back to their absolute animalistic, like, you know, foundations. You don't have to take much away from somebody. Even in the privileged world, you can just go to the supermarket and push in line and you can get somebody back to their natural animalistic state of rage in a second. So, like, how do we work with that? Because whilst we're we're making all of us down here loving people, we're just allowing ourselves to be taken further advantage of by Facebook, by Mars Bar, by Cadbury, by all of these dominating forces that know that we're just trying to love each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this uh, that's such an important thing. And and it comes back to the foundational things that I'm, I'm trying to say at the beginning, and I think are most important is beliefs and purpose. Mm-hmm. So our presumptions about who and what we are informs what our purpose or uh, reason for doing things are. Our value systems are informed by our belief systems, right? So again, are we just biological? You use that word a bunch of times in what you were just saying. I'm a biologist. And if, <laughs> Yeah. So if, but if we're just biology, then certain rationales make sense. For instance, materialism and reductionism make sense if we're just biology with an emergent mental component, Mm -hmm. right? Emergent, emergent. Okay. Now, again, I said, like, this is a format. Consider that this isn't a format for experiencing reality in a particular way, right? Mm -hmm. So you can say as a human, I'm having this experience and I can kind of, I can create different frameworks as to why is what's happening happening. Mm -hmm. 
And one is I can say everything's from the ground up and it's biological and it's reductive and it's um, survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. Or I can say um, that this is a vehicle of expression on a universal scale in which I'm experiencing something so that I can learn something. That the point of this is actually learning and growth, not survival, but learning and growth is the main point of this experience right now, mm-hmm. right? Now, you can start those off as theoretical and say, well, something's going to be true and something's not going to be true. And that's great. And that's kind of the point is there's a, this divergence of options from a belief standpoint, and then you can know it. You can know it by studying directly what's happening. So somebody can go down the path of looking directly into their the filaments of their experience and finding out what is going on. And so the what's dominant in the world right now is looking out there and focusing on the objective world and having scientific language and, and measuring things, you know, objectifying everything and measuring things and invalidating internal experience for the most part and just focusing on the outside and going, these are really cool toys and we're learning so much. And that's true. And that's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But what's happening is that overall the world value system is shifting towards a particular direction. It has. And it's called materialism and reductionism. Now, that has resulted in a materialist world. Mm -hmm. It's resulted in in a value system worldwide that values the material. Okay. Now that doesn't mean it's true. It just means that's what it happened. That that's the current paradigm. But if you look at, for instance, the the nature of scientific revolutions by by Kuhn, which is like about how scientific paradigms every 50, 75 years, you look, they just keep flipping upside down, up, up, above and below, above and below. They turn so maybe, maybe we're gonna find ourselves in the next 20, 30, 40 years finding out that actually everything we've assumed in the last hundred years, hundred and fifty years, Darwinian thinking is actually completely wrong. Maybe that's possible. And then everybody will turn around and go, what a strange passage in human history when we thought we were just, you know, these like biological things. When in fact, now we understand that um, the nature of our connectivity and what consciousness is, because actually that's really the the key word here that connects science and spirituality is consciousness. They're both talking about what is consciousness, because science has no idea what consciousness is whatsoever. (laughs) Not even a little bit. They're extremely confused by it and can't you can't actually insert it into scientific models. So it's just an, it's an abstraction at this point. And anybody who thinks differently hasn't really read scientific literature. Consciousness yeah. is completely not understood whatsoever by science. Yeah, totally. Okay? Not at all. I was going to ask, in your experience of reflecting in history, has there been a chapter where the current value system of materialism and collection of resources and survival of the fittest, is there a chapter where that wasn't the case and everybody was sharing and connected and loving and like has that existed before or or are you sort of trying to facilitate this next chapter that will exist for the first time oh i i don't i don't think of the past as being any kind of fluffy flowers kind of situation um i don't think that that uh, i think that collectively there is an evolutionary process but i would say that my own experience informs me that the idea of evolution is not it's not biological evolution i think that evolution is actually fundamentally about the evolution of the experience of matter through forms of mind which continue to evolve so we're on an evolutionary ladder of plants and mineral and uh, biological life and then humans sublimate into this particular form on this planet and we go wow like we're top grade we're really really refined we're really like neat you know we're like the apple store of evolution you know it's like the coolest technology kind of thing but we have no yardstick so we don't we have no idea what's happening out there we have no idea like you know what's the difference between the evolutionary process right between 
um, a crystal or a, um, a plant and a human. And you go, whoa, we're supposed to be on that same ladder. We're like way more evolved, right? And we <laughs> yeah. say that. And it's like, it's a huge difference, right? Massive. But the thing is, is that the only yardstick is this planet. So just consider, just hypothetically, what does it look like when you upgrade that operating system one, two, three, four, five folds from where it is now? You know, as much of a difference as there is between a plant and a human, just amplify that two, four, six, eight, ten times up in the other direction. And what kind of life form, what kind of consciousness do you think it might be just as a pure hypothetical. And given that we're finding out there are literally something like hundreds of billions of other habitable planets that have water and all this kind of stuff, the idea that there wouldn't be life and other evolutionary processes and other life forms would be very, very naive. You know, we might not know it directly. We just had this cool object, you know, flying in outer space, Uma, whatever. And it's like, you know, scientists are basically going like, this object can't be, it's not natural. It's something, it's an artifact from some alien civilization you know <laughs> what if what if civilizations are just everywhere and we're just part of the petri dish in the universe and we're going somewhere and to me that's what is it's somewhat i, I dare say it's actually it's somewhat knowable in the direct experience of the kind of things that we've been talking about today when you look deeper past physical reality into energetic and then when you even go to what we got to with the idea of um the goal in buddhism right is really what is the essence of existence which is what would be this word spirit, body, mind, spirit, would be now, present. It's, it's contained in the simplicity of dropping into the present moment and noticing what's happening in this present moment and what are its constituent parts. Mm -hmm. And is the eternal present? What is that? Is that you? Is that not you? And that's the main thing that people are asking themselves in, in spiritual development is they're saying, well, if it's, if it's spiritual development, spirit is the word, we're trying to relate to the eternal Am I that? Am I not that? And you have Western traditions that at the moment, mostly the mainstream, the exoteric version, is that you and the idea of spirit are separate. But Eastern traditions, they actually are non-dual fundamentally, which means that you're, you are that actually, and you just happen to be in a particular form. So in a relative sense, you're, you're not, but in an absolute sense, you are. Mm -hmm. and, and this is not something that is, again, it's not theoretical. It's something that you can find out directly in yourself, and that's a big deal. And that's the beliefs and value systems thing that we're talking about, about why do we wind up in the society that we're in. I think we're in this particular society because of a value system, and that value system is founded on beliefs. And so if we get the beliefs wrong, you know, for instance, if materialism is wrong, if it's just wrong, mm -hmm. then that would mean that... Everything we do within the framework of materialism and the value systems inherited from that, we'll just, we could just walk in the wrong direction until we just blow ourselves up, destroy ourselves, kill each other, <laughs> run out of resources because we're so obsessed with survival because we just think that that's the only thing. And we don't, we don't have any value system that informs loving kindness, cooperation, peace, because the context of different value systems based on different knowledge bases might be that the way we relate to one another is very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and there's no, and there's no bigger question we can ask. That's the thing. That's what I'm so interested in. Because like I said, I started off a while ago with a materialist belief system and that informed my values. And so through my direct experience, that's turned inside out. And I say, wow, that's the biggest thing on a collective level that we could possibly be doing is considering what are our presumptions about who we are, what we are, what reality is for. And, if we've gotten it wrong, then that's the biggest wrong we can get. That means everything else is like, is for naught, you know? Yeah. 
it's, it's we, we could do the best version of, of materialism if it's dead ass backwards. We're just probably going to destroy ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, and have gotten it wrong in fundamentally in the first place. And everybody who cares about knowledge and the potential of, of humanity would go, wow, what a, what a waste. What a shame. Yeah. You know, every scientist worth their salt would go, I wish I knew. Of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the point of science is to find out the nature of reality, to find the truth. Right. Which is what a, a meditator is doing, what all these sages and saints thousands for thousands of years and all across the world. What they said is, well, I don't have, there is no science. There is no measuring stick. There's no instruments to measure objective reality. But their question was the exact same thing. What is reality? So what they did is they worked with the tools that they had. They went, oh, I can look at it directly. I can study it. And not a little bit. Like I can study it. I can spend 30 years meditating all day and start to understand what the filaments are of my experience that arises in the present moment. And it's very very well documented across cultures, this, that, and the other. There's a very particular succession of uh, a progression of deepening into what the construction of time and space and mind and body is as a direct experience. It's extremely well documented. I've gone through the process of investigating this myself for many, many years and can tell you that what they've talked about is very real, very accessible, very true. And Things are not what they seem. There is this energetic component, and there is this even more. Uh, it's not existential uh, in the sense of existentialism, but it's it's. Um, there is this even deeper thing about the essence of what we are, and that's that's yeah, that's like uh, as deep as it goes. I mean, that is the bottom of the rabbit hole. Oh, I love the rabbit hole, and it's not even a bottom. It's it's the it's the it's the it's the infinite of the rabbit hole. It doesn't ever end. You just fall continuously, infinitely. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. You know, I've got a, I've got, a got an idea. So, what if, like the, um, like we're we're involved in this step of evolution, and however many hundreds, thousands, millions of years this step is taking to happen, and of all the parts of the human body that decided to evolve, or the human vessel, however you want to language it, the consciousness took the first step, right? And so, what are the possibilities that it's like? cutting a, a plugged-in electricity cord 
and it's just this flailing part of our being that's like it's stepped out of the paradigm of this biological value system that we held and believed before. And so because it's this flay, like the rest of us hasn't caught up to this level of evolution. So we've got this consciousness that's just like flailing about in all of our bodies that we're trying to understand and interpret. And so we're just applying the same type of uh, flawed thinking that we are to the idea of the biological realm, which is like, it's got to make sense. It's got to be complete. There's got to be a, an entire story that, because the human mind loves stories, as you mentioned, and it likes completion, which is why the news has such a powerful control over the population because it gives you a completion to the stories that you hear every single day or the news or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, what if we're just applying all of this human construct thinking to the idea of consciousness to make ourselves feel better and tell ourselves a story and it's not, not actually what's happening. Possibility. Possibility. People, people are, uh, to just inform people in general, uh, many people would be familiar with this, but the idea in spiritual traditions is the inverse of materialism. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that in materialism, a body builds a mind and there is no such thing as spirit. Or whatever spirit is, is it's ill-informed or primitive or, you know, hocus-pocus, mm-hmm. right? That's materialism. Um in spirituality, all traditions around the entire world, if you read every major tradition in the world, indigenous and likewise, the same thing is true is that consciousness, which would be the purity of awareness itself, you might say pure consciousness or consciousness without identity, pure awareness, beingness, the eternal. From that nothingness or from that potential, that infinite potential, springs forth what would be the opposite movement. First would be mind and then body. So actually a thought is actually the generation from nothingness, and then from thought, reality actually follows suit. And it's not a causal um, chain that's unusual to us. We know that we think things into reality, right? We know that that we know that causal chain is true from direct experience. Like, you thought of setting up a podcast, and then you set up a podcast. A podcast didn't set you up, you know? So, <laughs> Well, I don't know now after this conversation. <laughs> so, 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 we know, so we know, though, that there are these causal mechanisms in both directions, and we can look at them. And we, they're both true. They're 100% true from direct experience. So we can, we can at least consider and understand that which one are we focused in on and all that stuff. Because like you're saying, like, models of understanding consciousness, many people don't realize that that's, you know, some people in a deriding way might say it would be called panpsychism, but I think that that's uh, the idea that everything is mind, but fundamentally it's that actually everything is consciousness, that it doesn't even take a body to be, like consciousness that I'm talking about, pure consciousness, is in a, infuses a empty space, infuses a, a rock, infuses a planet, everything has consciousness as its base, Okay, and that consciousness actually has is is aware and intelligent, which sounds very strange. But again, direct experience, I could basically that's what I'm doing with energy work and energy healing. That's this is the very unforeseen landing point for me, is that my vision enables me to see the energy field and what happens to our energy field in response to thinking and directed thought and intention. Because again, your energy field is a reflection of your mental emotional process. So when you think, it creates a form in your field. So a thought's a thing. A thought is an object. Thought's not like non-existent. It exists somewhere and it's not abstract. It actually has structure in your field. It has an electromagnetic form when you think. Now this makes sense for a person, you know, who's interested in neuroscience because you'd say, well, your brain is the thing connected to your mind, but then you have to all these synaptic firings and your brain is highly electric, 
right? So imagine when you think not only are their synapses firing, but actually it's creating almost an electromagnetic bubble of sorts that reflects what the what the thought is. And that's basically what your energy field is. And, and cutting-edge brain science, neuroscience, actually shows this, that the most cutting-edge brain science around is called the Blue Brain Project in Switzerland. Mm, and they I go, read about it. They basically... Yeah, they basically say, you know, you have your brain is functionally functioning in higher dimensions through geometry. Okay, so what we see is physical reality, length, width, and height, three dimensions. Your brain doesn't coordinate there. Your brain coordinates; it requires coordination and information systems that coordinate higher dimensions. Now, those higher dimensions are talking about the energy field. They're talking about coordination in electromagnetic fields. Basically, and that's what you know. That's what all this chakra iconography with geometry is, and you know, I'm going to go down a different rabbit hole. I don't want to. I know we don't have time for that, but <laughs> the, the point the point being is that things are really, really unusual. That, that that's been my experience. Things are very, very unusual, and I don't. Um, I have no dogma and no um, insistence that things are a particular way. But I definitely own my own experience. Like I, I definitely own it because what's happened is is I've gone from a person who had beliefs and very little knowledge to a person who's basically dropped my beliefs and has put as much into the space of knowledge as possible and that my direct experience can answer those those fundamental questions as to what we are. It's not about reading a book. It's about looking at reality in my direct experience going, oh, right, that's how it works. That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we're really missing a trick. We're really missing out. If the future world, you know, it's 2024, two <laughs> right i'm just thinking it's strange uh it's 2022 or shortly be in 2023 this century and in the coming decades we really really need to have intelligent conversations between scientists and and um and basically like sages but mm-hmm. but with we need to look at self-scientists and objectives or subjective scientists and objective science they need to confer and start to collate their information and findings and open up the table otherwise we're going to be really missing out on understanding the relationship between subject and object the relationship between what's experienced internally versus what's seen externally because as we said science has, they have no idea what to do with consciousness and they don't really know what to do with mind basically you know mm-hmm. they don't they don't really know what to do with it well Start to open up the talks to people who are studying that, like scientists of mind are the people to speak to. And I mean real scientists of mind, you know, it's not, um, yeah. So uh, that, that's what I think is most interesting uh, for future stuff. And um, what I try and do is I try and empower people to work with a technique, a technology, if you will, which is called energy healing, where you augment your field. You know, you augment, you manipulate, you heal, you shift, you unblock your field. And in doing so, what you do is you gain clarity in, in terms of your internal perception of yourself and all of the stuff that we call conditioning and trauma and emotional blockage and all that stuff. And what energy healing does is it intensely accelerates people's self-transformation process because so much, this field is so powerful, this field component, it's incredibly synergetic component. It's very deep and you can go very fast with it. And um, often what I'm seeing is people who I work with for, you know, they do, they do the course that we've put together. We've run successfully for a number of years now. And Basically, in the course of six months, many people get the kind of change in themselves that might have taken three years or six years or 10 years or 15 years, or they've been doing all different kinds of um, therapeutic work, Mm -hmm. and they find that they have this technique now where they can take anything coming up for them and make significant shifts in it in and of themselves. You know, they're empowering themselves to self-heal versus to find a a healer or a facilitator or a therapist or whatever. I'm really interested um, 
in people being able to do for themselves rather than be reliant on others. Well, it's like the placebo effect, right? Uh, which has been studied in mainstream science since the dawn of it, basically. The fact that the placebo effect still in 2022 sure. produces loads of results, which is the individual healing themselves based on a belief. Yeah, I mean, somebody was just talking to me about knee, you know, people, <laughs> because because I've studied a lot of different stuff. I just happen to be doing energy work at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I started off in, in terms of healing work. I was doing a lot of body work and particularly craniosacral work. So it was like a kind of a nervous system specialist, if you will, through a body-mind therapy called craniosacral work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people ask me all kinds of questions who I work with about like, what should I do? And somebody was talking to me about uh, a knee problem. They were like, should I get a knee replacement? And I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I can't <laughs> give you advice on your knee replacement. But what is funny to mention though, is that I'm aware of studies where people get fake knee replacements in controlled studies where you take 10 people or 50 people and you give half of them an injection and say, we replaced your knee and half of them the injection and actually do the surgery. Both of them, you know, everybody knocks out and they come back. And the, the success rate is statistically significant that people who yeah. don't get a replacement have almost the same effect of improvement on their knee. So that's the placebo effect as you're talking about, which is crazy. I mean, that's yeah, it is. crazy. <laughs> you know? I love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that um, there's such an amazing world out there right now. You're doing wonderful things for people. Um, there's so many, there's so many people out there making offerings like you, um, like field dynamics, just people who are trying to, be supportive and assistance to people looking for uh, help and to accelerate and to amplify their their intention and their desires to heal in particular ways, right? People specialize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, generally speaking, a required step for many people. And at certain times, we need support. Because yeah. for me, a, a big maturation point for me has been going from an individual focus and this like ultimate consciousness journey yeah. thing to really seeing that most of what the human experience is does seem to be relational, like you were saying, tribal, but there is so much embedded in our sense of meaning and our sense of experiencing life that has to do with the context of other people. Mm -hmm. And so um, as much as you can get involved in the individuality and the, the singular nature of things, human experience to me more and more seems like it's really based in relational things as a primary learning, as a primary means of learning is relationship. And, um, working with other people and finding support, finding facilitators, finding therapists, finding healers that you trust, like, and feel held by that have that sacred space that they can offer and the right tools and techniques to offer is a really important stepping stone at any given point along a person's journey, mm-hmm. but also to to really be empowered to do the work yourself. Because we're with ourselves the majority of the time in the sense of when things come up you got to be able to yeah. self-manage, you know, we have to be able to self-manage. So totally. um, I really, I really, really appreciate that about um, the work that I'm doing is that it's primarily about people learning to heal themselves as a, mm. as a foundation. And then the work that you learn to do in yourself is what you can offer to other people, which is the same principle you were asking me about before. Why, what is this selfishness thing? We can perceive selfishness behind, you know, fundamentally, you can offer the world and be the best version of yourself in the world when you've done that inner work. Mm -hmm. You know, if your idea is to like, it doesn't matter whether it's this love and peace kind of um, language. (laughs) If you want to be the most creative individual ever and you want to, you know, be a great writer or a great musician or a great doctor or a great engineer or a great mother or father, whatever, 
How is it that you clear the junk inside of yourself so that you can be present with those people, that you can be present with that creative process and be loving and balanced and kind? It, you have to do the inner work. So the foundation yeah. for collective change is individual change. And it's, it's the furthest thing from selfish. It's actually that selflessness comes from what seems like selfishness. Mm-hmm. That's that's the initial cycle that people have to get on is you do need to invest in yourself and that can seem selfish, but it's ultimately and very quickly, the results are that it's that you can be more selfless, that you can be more of service to other people because you've started to resolve all those distortions and all that chaos inside of yourself. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that because, you know, you go through the selfish phase in order to be selfless kind of thing. It's like I have to take time out for me to to do what I need to do. Um, and it's the same with many of the people I work with. We have to um, find time in busy mum's schedule to be like, hey, you matter. Like, you matter. And if you don't ever believe that you matter, then healing is its never going to happen, basically. Um, progress is never going to happen. But, um, but man, this conversation, I want to I wanna go down that holographic rabbit hole. I want to go down, like, the multi-dimension rabbit hole. Um, but we're going to have to wrap it up. But because there's such a broad um, array of conversations that you have and educate people on and share, um, where can everybody find you online to continue the conversation? Sure. Um the website that Field Dynamics is on is called Field Dynamics Healing, fielddynamicshealing.com. Um, we have up there all of our trainings, um, uh, the one-on-one work, which is basically what, what we do. Chris Sibel and I, we, we work with people individually one-on-one. Like That's what I'm doing most days of the week. And then uh, the training, which is also happening a lot. So um, everything is on fielddynamicshealing.com. And as you've mentioned, um, I also have a lot of talks. I'm quite active on Insight Timer at the moment. And Insight Timer is like the biggest meditation app in the world. Mm-hmm. And so Christabel and I both regularly are doing free events on Insight Timer where I'm doing either lectures, presentations, or Christabel um, is doing energy healing circles. I do those as well. So we kind of just mix it up. And um, that's that's most of where we're at actively at the moment. Awesome. Thank you. I'll pop some of those links down in the show notes below. And um, if listening to this has melted your brain or changed your life, or you just like messing with some of your friends and family members' perception of reality, feel free to share this with them, get some creative conversation going and um, tag us both on social media. So um, I will have Keith and myself's links down below. It's always good to understand and know the community that are involved in what we do here. And one last thing. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. The greatest contribution to your own health is doing the inner work. I like it. And that's a wrap, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. We've loved having you here and bending people's brains, uh, mine included. I loved doing the prep for this as well and consuming a bunch of your stuff. So we'll have to have you on to just continue melting brains from here. But thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Maddie. We'd love to to have another conversation with you. Many, many avenues to go down for sure. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.